And so now the most important thing we'll do today, other than the table, is to read God's Word aloud. Everything else will just be fodder, but these moments is where everything is right and perfect. God's Word <clears throat> says this in Matthew 9, which will be our text today. <clears throat> then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins will burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. And while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I can only touch his garment, I'll be made well. And Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away for the girl is not dead, but she's sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowds had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl rose. And the report of this went through all the district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came in to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray and then let's dive into the text. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that even its reading aloud is not only an act of worship, but just in the utterance of your God-breathed word, you change hearts. You make us think about things we're already beginning to contemplate your greatness, and that is exactly what we need to do in this text. God, that we'll just see you more. We'll see less of ourselves and more of you. Less of ourselves and more of you. Less of ourselves and more of you today, Lord, as we look at this text. Um, honor it. Move me aside. Honor your text um, and grow in us more Christ-likeness. God, if there's an unbeliever in this room, I pray today that they come like these blind people and the sick people and um, the lame people, seeing their need for you in a new and fresh way as Lord. So Jesus, be glorified in our time together. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll be seated together. <clears throat> well, that's the text that we find ourselves in in our continuing journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And before we 
get into the Gospel of Matthew. Yesterday, you rooted for, probably if you're in this room, you rooted for a couple of teams, at least one of two teams. Um, Yesterday, you rooted for Alabama, of course, um, as they played Duke and gave Duke the spanking that they rightly deserve, um, which they'll return to us in basketball every single year. Um, Or you rooted for another team, um, Oregon. You, you probably rooted for that, that team as well. Uh, there might have been some Auburn fans in there rooting. And you rooted, there were people rooting for all kinds of things yesterday. Tonight, you'll root for Oklahoma or whoever's playing against Oklahoma, you know, all that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, yesterday inaugurated a launch of where our society is inundated with all of this football, and we watch it because every play matters long term. Like, everything will change the outcome of everything coming up. Like, everything matters, every score. I mean, people are already putting together scenarios of how it could come down to Alabama versus Oklahoma and Jalen Hurts walk away, you know, victorious. Like, this whole, like, we're looking way down the road, but everything matters. Everything hinges and changes upon what's going on right now, tonight, yesterday. It's crazy. Our society is lost its ever-loving mind. But nonetheless, that's what it is. Now, to tie that in, what Jesus is doing has begun changing things. Everything that he's done up to this point is changing what's coming up. Like, he is messing with the whole system. People are beginning to speculate because of the things that Jesus has done in our journey. They're going, what is, what is he doing? What is this new quarterback? Who is this new coach? What is this play system he's put in? Everything is beginning to change. They're going, this Jesus guy, he doesn't fit. Like, he doesn't fit in our box, and our parameters. Um, there was a time in my life when we were in seminary that, uh, that I raised Kobe. Um, I, I raised him for a little bit. So anything that is wrong with him is my fault. Anything that is right with him is his mom's once she took back over. But nonetheless, he had this little ball that had the different hole, the different size shapes that you would put in. And, you know, as I was keeping him, I would get delusional when he went to sleep. And, and so I began timing myself to see how fast I could put the, the things in there. And sure enough, there's just certain pieces that just won't fit. And I'd grab the wrong piece and try to slam it in there and it'd mess my time up and I'd get frustrated. Everybody is now frustrated with Jesus. He doesn't fit. He's, he's messing up the game plan. He's doing all kind of things, and they're going, who is this guy? What is he doing? He, he's, he's a, what's the old saying, a, a square peg in a round hole, a round peg in a square hole, whatever that is. He's that, and they don't know what to do with him. So that kind of sets you up for where we're at in the text. So when we get to verse 14, and the disciples of John are coming to him, Now we know it's a whole nother level of messed up, right? Because at first, it's one thing for the Pharisees to go, who is this dude? But now we've got the disciples of who? John. Even they're coming up to me and going, you don't fit. What is going on? You remember John. The disciple of John, he, he, even the disciple of John fit in the Pharisees' mold. John the Baptist came, he, he came preaching repentance, and he came preaching mourning and fasting. 
that fit in the Pharisees' paradigm, right? So they would put on sackcloth and ashes, this symbol of mourning. But what did John do? He came going, we need to mourn, we need to repent. This is the exact same way, except he said this, in our mourning and repenting, what we're going to do is we're going to eat locusts and honey, okay? This was a wild man. So even he fit their paradigm. But Jesus comes and he changes things. So what does he change? That's going to be the question today. So let's look at this text together. I think four things we can see in all of this text of how Jesus does change things and how he should change things in your life as well as society as a whole. Here we go. The word of God for the people of God. Verse 14, the disciples of John came asking this question, why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. Number one, Jesus is already changing mourning into joy. He shifts that on them. Everything about Jesus comes, I do not come to bring you mourning. I came to bring you joy. And so the disciples of John the Baptist, they, they don't get this. And they go, why is this? And Jesus' right answer is, well, because I'm not like the rest of you guys. <laughs> I'm not like the rabbis. I'm not even like John the Baptist. I I came not to bring mourning, but I came to birth life in you. And so here's the thing when I think about this. A lot of times, the quickest thing that will suck joy out of new believers is what? Old believers. One of the quickest things to suck the joy out of a new believer. They come to Christ. They see the joy in Christ, the freedom in Christ that we just sang about, the grace in Christ, and they get around old believers, and all of a sudden old believers go, man, I sure am glad you're happy, but you know what? That'll wear off. Right? And that's what's going on. Jesus doesn't come bringing mourning. He comes bringing joy. And and so I, I want us to think through this because we too will go back to old traditions. We'll go back to old rituals. And he's going to get there in just a second. But one of the things that sucks the joy most out of us as believers is this. We'll become so fixated on our depravity that we won't see the freedom that Christ brings us in forgiveness. We become so fixated. We will waller in the pigsty as believers of, oh, but I'm a great sinner. And it's true. It's true. You can't understand your salvation unless you understand the sin with which your salvation was made necessary. That is true. But especially as good theologians and reformed theologians, and our our church is full of them, we will waller in our depravity and muck and mud. And Jesus goes, no, 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 stop. I came to lift you out of that. I didn't come to bring you mourning. I came to bring you joy. Why do you keep wallowing in the very mud that I brought you out of? You're no longer pigs, you're children of God. So that's what he says. So he comes and says, why why does everybody else fasting? And basically Jesus says, because the kingdom was coming when John the Baptist prophesied it's coming, but in me, the kingdom is here now. The bridegroom is here You don't mourn at a wedding. There's going to be a wedding today. Lauren and Lauren Mosley and Andrew Clark, they're getting married out in Pale City, Alabama, right? God's country. Yeehaw. And I can assure you this. Now, there might be a few tears of mom and dad and all that kind of stuff, but there's nobody that's going to be crying at this wedding going, 
oh, that is so much the saddest thing I've ever seen. No, no, you don't, you don't cry at a wedding like that. That's what Jesus says. I'm here. And so, yes, we can recognize the damage of our sin. But Jesus says this, listen, don't focus on the damage of your sin if you know me. Focus on the forgiveness of me as Savior. Jesus changes things. And then, number two, he keeps on and he gives this illustration of this cloth and this wine. Number two, I would say this, Jesus changes things by causing growth beyond your capacity and the law's capacity. He changes that in us. He, he morphs that. He, he makes us new. And he gives this illustration, which is kind of um, um, maybe a home ec illustration, things that we can all understand. Um, growing up in the, <laughs> it was a fad when I was growing up in the early 80s to, to put patches on your clothes. And you remember, some will remember, many won't. Um, now you just leave, do holes and just leave them wide open. But we would do the, there would be holes and the, they had the iron on patches that had the, all the different crazy colors and, you know, all this. Y'all remember that? I loved them, right? And so you could get all kind of, you know, so, okay, you know. All right. So Jesus gives this illustration. He says, listen, you don't put a brand new one of those on something that's old garment because the first time you throw it in the washer and dry it, what's going to happen? That sucker is going to shrink like a shrinky dink and it's going to rip the old garment. It doesn't fit. And so Jesus is coming saying, listen, I'm different than that old law. That old law had you bound, but I'm coming in to stretch you beyond your capacity. I'm going to change that. And he gives the other illustration of wine and a wine skin. An old wine skin had already gone through the fermentation process, so it had stretched and then shrunk and then became brittle. And Jesus says, listen, <clears throat> I bring about such a change that you can't stick me in the old system because as I grow, I'll bust that thing wide open. So Jesus says, I, I come to change even your capacity. And, and what I mean by that is this. I think this is what Jesus is getting at. Yes, contextually, he is absolutely talking about the law versus the gospel. He's saying, I came to change. The law cannot, will not, will never save you. Your obedience will never save you. I am coming in grace and my obedience is what will save you. That is contextually what he's saying. But I think it's deeper than that. The verse that I've tried to hammer in you guys' heads for the past several years is 1 Corinthians 10.31. I don't care if you ever remember another verse. I, I feel my life mission is to make sure you know that verse. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Now, you can take that in a legalistic sense, meaning this, whether then you eat or drink, okay, two of the most mundane things you could possibly do on earth. Whether I take a sip, whether I take a bite, I'm to do that for the glory of God. In a legalistic, lawful mindset, you can read that and go, okay, well then to have God smile upon me, I need to eat and drink every sip for the glory of God. And if I don't, then God will be mad at me. Right? So you can take it to mean that in a legalistic sense, or you can take that in the gospel sense, which I think is what Jesus is saying. I think he's saying, no, no, this is so much bigger than all of that. I didn't come here to tell you to do more things. 
I came here to show you that I'm going to do all the things that you're supposed to do, and I'm going to stretch your understanding so that you will see your need for me in a way that you've never seen before. I've come to take your eyes off of you and to put your eyes squarely on me. The other way to look at 1 Corinthians 10.31 is this. Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Implication being, if you do not take that next sip that you're going to take for the glory of God, then that is sin. If you don't take that next bite of oatmeal cream pie for the glory of God, then that is sin. Now some of y'all just ate an oatmeal cream pie and drank some coffee, and my question to you is, did you take those bites and eat that cookie for the glory of God intentionally? Or did you forget about it? Then you got a big problem. Because you're now in sin just because of that. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, I didn't come here to just show you that I'm here to conquer all the things that you were supposed to not do, meaning the bad things, I came here to conquer all the good things that you did for your own glory. That's how much you need me. And I think we get all messed up. We understand sin as, well, sin is just those bad things that I do. I got that list and that's the bad. No, no, no. Sin is way bigger than that. It's not just the bad things you do, it's the good things that you do for your own glory. And Jesus comes in and he says, I'm going to stretch your understanding of your need for me, and I'm not going to fit in the law because I'm beyond the law. You need me to conquer all of it, and I did, and I will. So not only the bad things that you do, I've conquered your lack of eating a oatmeal, a oatmeal, an oatmeal cream pie for your own glory because you need that covered just as much. It expands the gospel. And when you understand the gospel is that big, it'll take your eyes off of you and you'll look at the cross and go, holy moly, in the most righteous, worshipful way you could say that word. You'll look at the cross in a whole different way because there's a good chance that the majority of you in the southern culture have only ever stood, understood sin to be the bad things that I do. And you forgot. Whoa, 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 whoa. Anything that detracts from God's glory is just equally sinful. you got to have that covered too. And that's what the cross covers. All of it. So you mournful sinner in here, who knows Christ, why would you be mournful? Rejoice, for you are beloved in the Lord. So he changes the law and the understanding. He is the new cloth. He is the new garment. He is the new wine. He is the new wine skins. A metamorphosis has taken place. Jesus comes in and he busts the whole mold. And everybody's going, who is this dude? And here's Jesus just standing there going, I'm the guy who takes worms and turns them into butterflies. I change things. And then he keeps going. He's not done yet. This little girl is dead. 
And this ruler comes and he says, my daughter has died. So Jesus rises and he follows him. But on the way there, he's going to do something else because this woman comes to him. She's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. You can, there's a million different people who debate what that means. And I don't care. The woman is bleeding for, the woman has been bleeding for 12 years. That's bad. No, I don't care if it is a finger stick. Okay. This is something bad. She's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. And in this moment, what we're going to see is that Jesus is also going to change our understanding of uncleanliness. Jesus takes what is unclean and he makes it clean. In both of these illustrations. So this woman shows up. Notice what she says in verse 21. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I'll be made well. Now, we're going to skip on real fast. Because indeed she does touch his garment. She doesn't touch Jesus. She touches the fringe. So the Jews would have had these phylacteries that would have hang. They, they still wear them to this day. And they, they hang real low. So it would have been a tassel that, that hung. And as he's walking by, she's able to just grab the end of the tassel. Okay, and it, it makes her clean. Um, but notice, we keep going. So now we get down to verse 23. Jesus does make it to the house, and he saw the flute players, meaning that the professional mourners, and that's what this was, had indeed arrived because this girl was not sick. She was dead. They knew what a dead person was. She wasn't just in sleep. She was dead dead. They would do a couple of things to make sure that a person was dead. Number one, they would place a piece of glass on the person's face. And they would let it sit there. And over time, if the person was alive, it would leave what? Condensation. Yeah, so they would do that. They knew they didn't have to have modern medicine with all the beeping machines, okay? They knew when somebody was dead. Um, another thing that they would do is they would lay a, a piece of cloth over their face. And that cloth, over time, would suck in if they were breathing. So they, they knew this girl was dead, okay? So they show up and... He says, go away, this girl's not dead, and they laugh at him. Jesus is used to that. But when the crowd had been put outside, notice what else happens. The woman said, if I can only touch his garment. When the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. He, he touched her, and the girl arose. Now, why I say this is because I think this is a part of the story that we often overlook. It was forbidden for a person that's a Jew to do two things. Number one, you could not touch anybody that had an issue of blood coming forth or you were made unclean. Number two, you could not touch anybody that was dead or you became unclean. Jesus messes the whole system up. <laughs> he comes in and he says, you know what? Yeah, if you touch a dead person, you'll become unclean. Yeah, if you touch somebody with the flow of blood, you'll become unclean. But if I touch them, they'll both become clean. So my question to you is this. How did Jesus find you when he first touched you? Because you were just as nasty as both of these people. But yet he cleansed you in the exact same way. That's who he is. He messed. He doesn't fit. 
He comes in touching dead people and touching bleeding people and saying, I'm going to make them alive. And they go, whoa, what is he doing? Because he came to give life with the very touch of his hand. Why would we mourn? This is a reason to be joyful. His touch doesn't bring defilement. It brings healing. His touch doesn't bring death. It brings life. Our Christ is full of compassion and kindness in the midst of our pain and our suffering. That's who he is. And so Jesus was willing to jump into death with us. And Pharisees, oh, what do they do? They stand outside laughing and mocking. Why would you get around such nasty person? So when he touched and brought this healing purpose to both, both of these ladies, it shows us this, and then we'll go to the next thing. If Christ has touched you, it's because he sees more value and purpose in you than you probably even see in yourself. Just like the dead girl and the bleeding woman. Mourn no longer, children of God. You've got a Savior who touched you for a purpose. He changes things. And let's wrap it up. We get to these two blind men. And not only does Jesus take what is unclean and make it clean, but now Jesus is going to take what's rejected and worthless and turn it indeed into children of God. Verse 27, Jesus heals these ladies and keeps going. He passes on from there. And, and two blind men followed him. Now these blind men weren't at jobs because in this society you didn't get to have a job if you were blind. You were seen as worthless. You were cast out. That's why, you know, we read in the Bible about Jesus coming up and there's beggars and all this kind of stuff. And the beggars are always lame and maim and blind and deaf and mute and all this kind of stuff. You, you realize this, right? Well, it wasn't because they just like to have a blind beggar mute party. It's because in society, they had no role. It, there was no action by the government saying hey you got to hire these people like that didn't exist okay they were outcasts they were worthless they couldn't get jobs it was go sit and beg because that's you are a dog that's how they were seen but where do we find our lord and savior in a house with these people so they come and they said do you believe i'm able to do this and watch this verse 29 here's that touch again he touches their eyes and says, according to your faith, it be done to you. Which leads me to believe this. A blind man that recognizes Jesus is, is in far better shape than a seeing mind, than a seeing man who rejects him. And their eyes were opened, verse 30 says. And in that moment, Jesus again reiterates, there's no time for grieving because we need to be feasting. There's no time for grieving because it's only time for glorifying. I'm here to change things. And Jesus sternly warns them. <laughs> I love this. I love it because this is so real. You cannot make this up. Jesus sternly warns them. See that no one knows about it. But they went their way and started spreading his fame to everybody. 
They, they couldn't hold it in. Why? Because when Jesus touches you, you can't hold it in. Something changes. He busts the mold. A Pharisee would come in and say, okay, now that you've understood this, your next rule to follow is this right here. Be a good person who follows this. But when Jesus touches you, you just got to let it out. And that's what happens to these blind people. Did they deserve it? No. No, 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 no. And so I, bottom line of all these passages, Jesus just won't fit in our religious boxes. As a matter of fact, he's here today to open your box and let you escape as well. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. As the band comes back up. Lord, I think about these passages. And I think so many times I can come to them and go, wow, if I just had as much faith as that ruler, if I just had as much faith as the lady in hemorrhaging, if I just had as much faith as the blind people, if I just had as... And, and it just starts pouring in on me and it creates more and more weight. But thank you, Lord, today that we can just pause and recognize that it had nothing to do with any of these people. But you and your sovereign, gracious touch. And so, Lord, today as we sit and think about how you've touched each of us, how you've changed us. Lord, that our mourning will turn to joy. That our weeping will turn to dancing. That our questions will turn to your glory. That our labor will turn to rest in you. That our law will turn to grace. <laughs> and that our striving will turn to just resting in your arms and trusting that you can accomplish that which you've started. May we see more of you as you change things and less of us.